Hi, I'm Alice Trinh, and I'm the author of Dead Together. Welcome to the Vietnamese. I'm your host, Kenneth Nguyen. Being part of a culture of nearly 100 million Vietnamese people in the world today comes with a lot of pain, proud history, and privilege. Join me as I highlight and explore the Vietnamese experience from all over the world. Wonderful. What does it mean to be Vietnamese to you nowadays? So I think to answer that question, I have to draw on my own personal experience. Um, for my parents, my parents are first-generation Vietnamese, and they were um, they're refugees from the war. So I think for me, throughout my life, to be Vietnamese meant to have strength and be persistent. Um, it was a lot for them to leave their country, you know, go hop on a boat and then fought all kinds of, you know, conflicts and um, tragedies overseas to make it here and basically restart their life. So I've, I can't even imagine myself doing that with my own family now. So for me, being Vietnamese is just having a lot of strength and persistence and just not losing hope um, no matter what trial comes to you. And that's just something I drew on my own, my own upbringing and from my parents. Yeah, it's always that strength and resilience, right? Yes. Where um, did they relocate after they came to the U.S.? Um, they actually ended up here in Southern California. So they started off in Glendale and then just moved over to Burbank. So we stayed here all our lives. <laughs> yeah. Glendale and Burbank are very um, beautiful cities. Uh, Glendale is a, a, a cool city, but Burbank is, you know, it's just such a quaint, understated. Uh, yes. Town. One of my favorite places. Yes, it's a beautiful community. And it is a little strange they ended up here because when they first came, there wasn't that big of a, a Vietnamese community. So I think that was really difficult for them, uh, especially not knowing the language, not knowing English and the culture. Um, so it wasn't easy for them being here. Um, I'm not too sure why they never relocated down to, let's say, like Orange County or an area where there's more Vietnamese people or of a community, but they stayed here and they you know, they adapted to their surroundings. They learned English. They started their own business. Um, my dad actually became a dentist. Um, yeah, and opened his own practice wow. uh, in Chinatown. So, so it's it's pretty amazing. I mean, they they're my biggest inspiration in life. Um, if I ever think you know I'm stressed or I can't do this or that, I just think of what they've gone through, and it just it just pushes me. I'm always interested about that. Like, how do you go from you know a country that's like war torn? And you get to the United States and you go back to school while you have a family and you become right. like a practicing medical person, like a doctor or a dentist. Like that's a big struggle and you have to really have a lot of willpower to you carry do. that out. Yeah, right? you really have to have that fighting spirit. And my dad is definitely, he's a, a tough a toughie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. now that they're older, it's different. They're just tired. They're, they're just, you know, yeah. they're, they just retired last year. Um, during the pandemic. Um, so it's hard to see that in them now because they're, you know, they're, they're used to surrounding, they just wanna rest, but definitely in their twenties and thirties, they were definitely fighters. <laughs> That's hardcore. And did he speak much English when he got to the US? He didn't, um, I mean, they didn't know any English when they got here. So, I mean, my parents got lucky too. My dad was in medical school in Vietnam uh, during the war. So because of the war, you know, he lost all of that, but he did have like paperwork. So when he was at the refugee camps uh, in the Philippines, uh, there was a Red Cross and they of course needed volunteers. Um, 
So long story short, he started off in medical school and then went to dental school. Um, so he had paperwork. So they let him practice at a, a dentist at these refugee camps just to help the people who were there, the community, because they were so short staffed. And then from there, he got basically more certificates and more paperwork from the Red Cross. So when he ended up um, in the United States, he was able to use those paperwork to get himself into dental school. Mm. And there is an international program at Loma Linda University, um, which was great. So they took him in and he finished his degree there. I'm always interested about this stuff because, you know, I remember growing up, um, I had a lot of uncles and aunts that would, you know, really push education, but they themselves were like, didn't care about going back to school and they could have, they really could yeah. have gone and they didn't do it. And then I would watch other families like your family go through school and they would just push and they couldn't even speak English. And we yeah. probably came a lot earlier than these other families and they just really put so i'm always wondering like how people went through that because it wasn't so easy to like I, from my perspective it wasn't easy for my uncles or my parents to do that it just yeah. was very difficult yeah absolutely i mean my aunts and uncles came after my parents many many years after and um, majority of them did not go back to school i mean yeah. they went to like learn english and such but not to gain a whole degree um i think that was a risk um either way you go i mean it's it's such, you know, I feel like it's such a heroic step just to step your foot in a different country and start any business, you know, not even talking about going back to school. And I know my dad, when he first came here, that was not the route he wanted. You know, he wanted to make money right away because he used to have family back in Vietnam. You need to send them, you know, resources and supplies. He wanted to make money right away. My mom came from a different background. My grandfather had always emphasized the importance of education. He had nine kids and he wanted every single one to go to college, either you're a girl or a boy mm -hmm. in Vietnam. So right. I felt my grandfather was a little bit more ahead of his time. So I think from that, my mom said, you know, she's going to go do the daily labor just to get the money that we need right now. And then, you know, help with the children and things at home while he can focus on school and getting a degree and kind of investing in that long-term prospect of, you know, becoming a higher you know having a, a higher degree yeah and that's some serious dedication because if you think about that's like years and you don't even know if your husband's gonna make it right right you, right exactly that's some so, stamina that's some yeah. you know some vision that, that she has to have and that definitely affects the way we we form right the children of of that sort of vision from the mother and the father of of you know that first generation wave getting oh, yeah. you know pushing that hard and we 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 are the benefactors and i think that's why sitting to talk with somebody like you an artist uh, an, an author who um has thought about this work that you've done uh, with with this children's book is is important to me because that legacy of um you know whatever you've received from your mom and dad i want to hear now what the story uh behind making this uh book is uh, you know for you Yes. Thank you, Kenneth. Well, thank you for giving me this opportunity. You know, it's different Like growing up, you think about these things, but talking out loud, it's, yeah, it does bring a rush of emotions to, <laughs> to the conversation. Absolutely. So were you somebody who liked uh, like film and story and, and these kinds of things when you were growing up, like um, these books, or were you just somebody who just, uh, you know, knew that you wanted to, you know, go to uh, school for pharmacy or something like that yeah well definitely like I said given my parents background and what they were interested in like education was you know always important for them and I'm sure as a 
tale as old as time. They wanted their kids to go, you know, to medical or do healthcare because that's what they they knew. Um, it's a very definitely secure field, and I definitely had an interest in it. Um, I have two other younger sisters. Um, my second sister, she's also a pharmacist, so a lot of us are in the medical field. Um, in terms of hobbies and you know just what I like to do on my spare time. Definitely the arts is definitely an interest. Um, I was in choir my whole life. I love drawing and um, yeah, arts and crafts was, is still with my, actually my hobby. That's where I channel my, um, what do you call it? Creative, uh, creative revenue. Yeah, so it's, it's always been an interest but it's never been um, something that I pictured myself doing for a living or you know, working professionally. Uh, so I knew that healthcare would be my main profession and then everything else would spring from that if I had time. When did you have an idea for the book? Oh, when did I get an idea for the book? Becoming a mom definitely encouraged me to um, find ways to pass on my family's culture and traditions to my daughter. These are things that you just don't think about, you know, growing up. I know growing up, my parents were always like, you have to speak Vietnamese, you have to speak English, you have to do this and that, and, uh, especially that which is our biggest, um, celebration and uh, in the Vietnamese culture, um, you know, you just, you just go along with it. You just listen to your parents and go along with it. And it's just funny, once you become a parent, you're like, you know, I don't wanna lose this, right? Because my parents spent so much time trying to preserve our culture and pass it on to us. And now I wanna pass it on to my own kids. And it's a challenge because now, you know, you're not just Vietnamese, but you're also American, you're Vietnamese American. So you have to find this balance, right? To basically, you know, still be American, but somehow preserve your culture and spread it, uh, bring it to the next culture, uh, next uh, generation. Um, so yeah, I was out looking for books for my daughter just to kind of introduce her because I knew that she really loved reading books and she was really fascinated by all the stories she was reading. Um, but I couldn't find many children's books specifically focusing on Vietnamese culture that would grab her attention. Um, so from, from there, I just figured like, oh, maybe I'll just write one myself. Uh, and that was just a point that I told my husband, he's like, okay, if you want. But um, I have to say the pandemic, the COVID pandemic did give me a little bit more time per se, because I was working at home a little bit more to pursue um, this project. Um, so that's why I started it last year. Well, Alice, I mean, there's a there's a real big difference between like saying, okay, well, I need to create something for my daughter and I'll just draw a few things and write a few and then let her read it, you know, like you make your own book at home. But then there's another level of saying, you know what, I'm going to do this and then publish it or find a publisher. Like what, what, what makes you go to the next level? Oh gosh, like I can't really explain it, but you are right. I mean, I've thought about this project years before. I never pursued it because it was, it's just not in, within my area of expertise. I don't even know where to start. Um, but like I said, I think having time um, helps because then there's, right now there's just so much resource online. Um, a lot of communities. And that's where I started off in. I started off in like Facebook author groups. Um, they had amazing people on there that would just start you off and give you at least like a, kind of like a like a step-by-step -step guide of where to start and what to do. So I did use those um, resources a lot to help me get started. Um, and then, you know, once you get into doing the research, one thing leads to another, right? Yeah. You'll find this and this will lead you to a different, like guide or a different person that you can talk to. And then that helps you gain momentum. So I think that's important, just gaining momentum. Yeah. And then you get really excited about it and 
and you just go. <laughs> and then you're <laughs> on a podcast. You yeah. <laughs> Find yourself on a podcast talking about it. <laughs> Yeah. So tell me about it. How did you find um the how did you find the right way to tell the story? Like how did you come up with the 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 story? So that I think that that was why I didn't write the book till now until I became a mom. Um I mean, I didn't really read I read children's book growing up, but then you know you stop for a good part of your life and then now you have I had my first daughter. And she loves books. So I've been reading her books every day. And then my husband and I, you know, there's certain books where you feel like catches their attention a little bit more versus other. Um, what particular characteristic of that book grabs her attention? So I think just being a parent, having that experience really helped me in writing the story on how the story can um, relate to more children or make them more interested in the story uh, from illustrations to wordings to how long the story has to be words that you can use that would grab their attention um, so yeah I think just being a parent that that was the experience I use in writing this book I just imagined myself if I was a parent out in the bookstore and I bought this book came home and read it to my two-year-old daughter you know what would I want from this story and what would I want to see yeah and then what did you want to see <laughs> well, I definitely wanted to see that, you know, she was interested in the story, that she can see herself in it. Um, um, and I wanted something that was colorful, something that was eye-catching so that, you know, at bedtime, she would actually ask for the book, like, mom, I want to read this book because, you know, it's fun. Like, I wanted it to be fun. I didn't want it to be yeah. like, okay, these are the traditions. This is what you have to do, like a history course. I wanted her to feel like, yeah, you know, all these cultures and traditions that we do in our family is actually really fun. Um, and then from there, you know, as she gets older, hopefully it motivates her to like keep those customs and traditions. Yeah. Why do you think all that's so important to us to keep tradition, to, to really make it, you know, stretch out this uh, idea of culture to our, and, and extend it to our children? I think because it's part of our identity, right? So I feel like if we lose out on the, these tradition and customs that we're used to from our, what you quote unquote, mother country, then we lose a part of ourselves, right? Because like you said, like, what does it mean to be Vietnamese? And all of these things that we do as a community uh, defines us as Vietnamese. And I think, um, I mean, it's great that we were giving another opportunity to come to this country, but if we lose out on that part of ourselves, then we lose out on where we came from, which is what makes up this country. So. Yeah, yeah. So um, you, you lay out the story, right? And you have to have like this idea of like um, where it's going and all of that, but then there's this other component of like an illustrator so right. how does that all work out? Yeah, so finding the, the right illustrators, I feel like for anyone who's watching who wants to pursue this in the future is really, really important. Like the relationship you have with your illustrator. I knew I wanted someone who was uh, Vietnamese because it's a Vietnamese cultural children's book. So I wanted them to understand at least the customs um, and little nuances, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Of the Vietnamese custom of that and what we do. So I reached out to my uh, Facebook author group, you know, just to get some recommendations from other authors. Um, I actually found her from um, an author named Yobi Quinn. She wrote another book called Our Lunar New Year. So she's great, very, very inspirational. So she had used this illustrator and I had bought her book. Um, I actually emailed out multiple illustrators just to see what 
they would think and just their style, if they even like my manuscript, because it's not that I have to like them, they also have to like my manuscript because it's such a, a huge investment of their time. It's a year long project. So they have to believe in my story to take on the project as well. Yeah, so Jade um, Lay, she's um, Vietnamese and she actually lives in Singapore and she's an illustrator. And I just got, I just feel like I got so lucky with her because a lot of um, advice that I got from other authors don't use an international illustrator because you can't meet up one-on-one -on -one with them. The time difference, um, there's a lot of communication that can get lost, which is, um, which is a risk, right? In writing a children's book. But she was amazing. We worked out, you know, a time that we can meet. Um, usually for me is like after nine. So that would be like midday for her because she's in Singapore. But she's super organized. Um, she's super skilled in this field. So I felt like she was actually guiding me through the whole process, wow. you know, what I need to do. Um, but it was great. It was great working with her. So that was one of my favorite part in the whole experience of writing this children's book was meeting her and just see how much time it takes to illustrate a children's book. I mean, I you pick it up, you think, okay, you know, oh, it's, it's, it'll probably be like a month or so, but it's it really isn't because you have to somehow find an illustration that um, can retell the story the way you want it to tell, like the feel of it. And all of that took many, many steps from colorations, developing the protagonist, how the children's look, the color of their hair, their clothes, um, what kind of aoyai would they be wearing? So everything took um, a lot of time, but it's worth it because then it makes the end product so much more special. Yeah, you can you imagine like five years ago? I mean, both of us, you <laughs> five years ago, we knew nothing about what we we're about to get into. And then today oh, yeah. we, we're sitting and talking about this process of what you know we thought about for a few like months years whatever and you know you you realize like you go through these processes and how enriching they become in your life right like you these layers of what we learn as we're going through these are so invaluable aren't they right absolutely and it's the people you meet like meeting you Kenneth and you know like that you, I would not have ever met you know if I didn't pursue this project yeah and yeah and I'm sure like you know we all had our uh field of you know specialty before this like like I said I was in healthcare so that's all I knew and all the people I knew were in healthcare right so this was great just to branch out of my comfort zone and then meet um different people that had you know other things to inspire in life and better this world so that's my definitely my favorite part of this project was well, just I'm, meeting new people <laughs> yeah, i'm glad you you took the uh the chance and, and did it um i have to ask you uh so the previous art author that you talked to was um somebody who wrote lunar what did you say it was lunar um, our lunar new year our lunar new year so that's a is it a chinese author Yes, she is. Yeah, but her book was uh, is um, actually encompasses all types of New Year because you know Lunar New Year is a it's a huge holiday in the Asian culture in many different Asian countries. It's just that uh, each country does it, things a little bit differently, but overall it's like a huge celebration in Asia. So she kind of wanted to encompass that uh, from like the Japanese New Year, Korean uh, New Year, um, Chinese New Year, and then I don't know if she incorporated the Viet New Year. I don't think she did, but. Um, but she's a great author. She's actually, um, she used to be, she's a school teacher. Um, yeah, so lots of experience um, to share. And, and it sounds like she was encouraging. I mean, oh, yeah, absolutely. To, yeah, that's really yeah. cool. Yeah, her name is Yobi Quinn. And she's, uh, she actually runs our author, our um, it's Asian cultural 
children's book. That's the group that she runs on Facebook. Wow, that's very specific. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but she's great. I mean, she offers uh, courses too, like to new authors. If you are ever interested in, you know, wanting to write a, a children's book and not know where to start. So she offers like um, different seminars that you can, you can attend. Now, now that we're talking about that, I have a question. You don't have to get specific, but I do want to ask you about like, do you, did you think about like the numbers at all? Like, okay, if I did it, it would cost this much. This is how much I can make. Or was it not really about that? Or is it just about the passion for you? I think half and half, right? It had started off with the passion, right? And I just really wanted to get this out to families and communities that were interested. Um, the numbers, I mean, that's, you, you have to consider the numbers because yeah, that's just practical, <laughs> but yeah. Um, but I did have like, you know, a budget in mind, how much I was willing to spend and, you know, uh, what's, what was reasonable. So I definitely had a number uh, in terms of like number of books to sell. I had no clue. I told my husband, like, if I can just get a hundred books out there, I'll be happy. But of course now, like two months in, um, I've definitely surpassed that, that goal. So it's pretty amazing. Um, what social media can do nowadays yeah, uh, just to absolutely. reach more people. Yeah, absolutely. And do you have um, other people that help you with the pushing of the book, the marketing of the book, the advertising of the book? <laughs> just family and just family and friends, to be honest. Um, I wish I had more time to do more marketing because that is quite important and pushing the book out is a little slower now, but it's manageable for me because I'm I'm still a full-time pharmacist and uh, January, as you already know, it's the COVID surge. So it is kind of crazy at work. So I think I have a good balance right now. Um, and definitely talking to people like you, Kenneth, and then um, people on social media who's helped repost my book and then uh, you know sending it out to the community that way. Um, but yeah, family and friends have been good, just word of mouth. Yeah, you know, there it's important for all levels of writers, for me and filmmakers and music people to, to, to get amplified, you know? Um, it's important that we get the Viet Thanh wins or the win Fan Koi Mai's of the world out there, but it's also important to get the momentum. Um, and even if it's just to have a recording of this for me, and you put out your second or third children's book or you laterally move into, you know, young adults uh, stories. <laughs> to have a record of that growth uh, is so important to me to, to be able to archive and, and to hear the voice of the person that one day my my son or daughter will go back and, you know, look at that book. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you want to hear the thought process of the person that makes this? Uh, here it is right here that it's so important at every level to to be able to talk about the the process. Yes. And thank you, Kenneth, because I mean, you are recording this part of history in my life for me. So then someday I could show it this recording to my my daughter when she can, you know, when she's old enough. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's amazing. Um, or do you have other uh, ideas in mind uh, in terms of like next projects? Um, yeah, I'm always thinking, you know, like if things inspire me, then I do think about it. Uh, I do want to stay focused on um, keeping the theme, you know, Vietnamese culture. Um, maybe not like another holiday, but just like certain things like where do our foods come from? Or just like maybe a, like a historical portrayal of certain things in the Vietnamese culture that I can write about. Yeah, that food will, um, 
I, and no pun intended, that nourished <laughs> that topic. Uh, you you have a lot of things to write about, like even just yeah, alone. Right, exactly, exactly. And we have the huge French influence. Uh, you know, just sometimes I think about it. I'm like, oh, that would be fun to write about. <laughs> yeah, that that would be amazing. I mean, you would, yeah, that that would be a very wide because yeah. of it, if you think about it, right? Yeah, or eating, uh, soups and noodles and stuff like that, though. Those have so many varieties in the, the, the culture. So what was the hardest part of the whole project? Oh, the hardest part. Well, like we talked about the uncertainty of the process itself. Um, it was definitely a very steep learning curve. So I am very grateful for the community of writers who, like I said, provided so much support and inspiration to help me get started. Um, just the nuances and the, all the logistics of writing the children's book was definitely the most difficult. Um, like I said, like looking for an illustrator and what questions to ask, um, how to make your contract, what to look for in the contract. Um, and then once that was done, actually getting the book to print, which is like a whole different area, like who to, who to publish your book, uh, which printers to go to either at, in the United States or go overseas for printing, uh, what platform to use to actually, you know, bring the book to life and bring it to the market. Um, all of that was definitely the most difficult. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm still research, I'm still learning. So, oh, so, right. so writing yeah. the book wasn't that, wasn't the hard part. No, it was not the, the hard part. I mean, that comes from, like I said, years of, you know, you already have it in your mind of what you want to want to write. And that was the fun and the fun isn't the easiest part, I, I feel like. Yeah. Um, but everything else is definitely, that's why it took like a whole year to bring the book to life. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's just like these podcasts, you know, oh, yeah. talking, talking to guests is the easy part, is the fun right. part, you know, creating yeah. this space that we can, you know, both talk about our work Absolutely. and our lives are, it's fun. But yes. right, getting the logistics down is really the hard part and the grind yeah. of, of getting the word out there. Right. Because if there's no consumption of this, then there's no longevity for it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so that's why, you know, it's important to, to keep amplifying the voices that are in our community. Yeah. So um, have you been to Vietnam before? Um, I have. I went, my first time going was as a teenager in high school. And then um, the last time I went, I think was four or five years ago when my grandmother passed away. Her wish was to, she lived over here in America, but her wish was if she passed that she moves we move her to back to Vietnam because there's a family plot there. So she wanted to be buried in Vietnam. Um, so I went uh, a couple years ago. Yeah. Have you ever been uh, during that? I have not. I have not. But I heard it's crazy. <laughs> it's like, yeah. It's crazy, but it's also ironic too because the big cities empty out. And there's yes, yes. The big cities. So it's not yes. as fun in the big cities, but in the small towns, you know, that's where everybody is. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then my family's from Hue which is like, it's just, I, I, I consider it a small town. Um, so it's super festive and super fun there during that. Yeah. And, and did you have to do much research with sort of like the cultural differences of the different parts of Vietnam and, and the Vietnamese Americans, the way we celebrate it? Or was it something that you just took from your own family? Um, I mostly took it from my own family and I did cross-reference, you know, just to make sure like, yeah, mom used to make me do this. I wonder if that was correct or historically correct or not. So I did, you know, do some historical research online just to make sure that 
the facts I'm presenting in the book is correct. Um, and then my final read or final editor was my mom, of course, just to make sure <laughs> I got all the Vietnamese uh, wording and phrases correct and used it appropriately. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, when you when you think back on um, the final product, do, do you ever think like you could have done it better or you could have left things out or, you know, how does that work? <laughs> You know, I, that's a good question. I mean, reading the book now, I feel like the final product I have is exactly what I wanted. Um, and I say that because, you know, like I said, the project took a lot longer than I expected. In my head, I was like, oh, I'll be done with this children's book in like three months. But that was not the case at all. Uh, so there is, a, it was a whole year and it, every step, I feel like it forces you to reanalyze your project or the story. So I think the story was edited maybe 50 times. <laughs> Same with the illustration, moving things around and you know, um, changing the plot here and there. So I think the whole year was, you know, it was like just to reevaluate your product before you finalize it. So I think the final product I have is it's exactly what I wanted. And then there's other uh, you know, competition on the market. Uh, I'm sure there's probably other that children's book out there maybe after that you know you get into the journey a year into it and you realize like <laughs> there's other but is there or do you feel like this is pretty unique um i feel like this is pretty unique because it's funny that you mentioned that i have seen um like other uh dead vietnamese book they're different though the story is told in a different way um like i know there's one about the colors of dead which is amazing so i don't see them as competition mm, um wow. i don't see in that light at all i feel i look for these books i actually look for these books as a way for me to learn it's to see how these books are presented um you know how are they bringing it to the market how are they reaching their community so i actually use these these other books in the market for myself so that i can learn and use it for my own book um but my story is definitely it's different it's just it's told in a different way and i think children can use this book to learn about the death festival in a different way yeah. do you consume other forms of of uh, of writing or or entertainment um and do you think that you'll kind of cross over into other forms I, i'm not sure if i asked you that earlier oh like if i would pursue like uh different genres of books yeah. or like young adults um for now i think i'm gonna stick with the children's book um i feel children has always been my interest ever since i was little um, i mean even for pharmacy school i did my residency in pediatrics so i think childhood development is always been internally a passion of mine, either that be healthcare or now um, children's literature. Um, I mean, I'm always fascinated by my daughter's, you know, fascination about and her love for her characters and her favorite books. I feel like children's books, they have a profound impact in teaching children about the world around them. Uh, it enforces strong moral concepts, um, introduces new ideas, uh, encourages imaginative thinking. Um, so I think that's why I focused on children's books because I wanted, I feel it's important for children to see um, themselves in the books they read, but it's also really important for them to see other kids or other people in the stories they read because it just, it builds empathy. It helps them um, form an identity and just to see their place in the world. So I think for now I'm sticking with children's books. <laughs> yeah, these are all really important concepts to as we're raising these, these little monsters. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I was just reading somewhere, um, a friend of mine online posted something about um, the idea of kindness. Um, that's 
really the most sort of like the most important thing that we can infuse and 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 give to these children because they have all these other ways of kind of picking up things but it's kind of hard i feel like to get them to understand this idea of kindness over and over and over again right yeah and repetition is important and i think that's how uh, children's books are important because you can um, read it over and over again so do you try to teach your daughter uh, vietnamese and um, you know what are some of the challenges Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, that was one of my main goal as a new mom. And I knew this even before I got pregnant with her, that I knew I wanted her to learn Vietnamese, or at least introduce it to her. Um, so it, it is a challenge. I'm lucky that my husband is also Vietnamese. So I think having both spouses as Vietnamese does help. Um, but I feel in our case, like I did most of the work um, with her because I spent just spent more time with her at home yeah. and it starts off early I mean I got advice from other friends um, uh, who wanted to introduce second languages to their kids and I just asked them like what did you do and they said you know start as early as the day they're born like the very first day like either it just yeah just introduce the the sounds and you know the wording and they'll pick it up and now that she's two I mean she's been talking since she was one like nonstop. it just comes naturally like I don't even speak Vietnamese to my husband, <laughs> but the fact that we only speak Vietnamese to her, like she made this connection that, you know, with mom and dad, I just speak Vietnamese and that's how I communicate with them. And now, you know, that she's in school, she's in preschool, um, the English comes fast. So yeah. to any parents that are worried about their kids learning second languages and they'll be behind in school or they'll get confused, I don't think that's the case. I mean, I was born and raised here and my parents only spoke Vietnamese to me. So when I was in school, I was in ESL, which is the was that English second language yeah. course for five years of my life. And I came out okay. <laughs> so I still graduated from college, went through grad school. So it's fine. You pick it up super fast, especially now with TV and social media, YouTube. Um, but yeah, um, the hardest challenge is definitely trying to speak with her um, Vietnamese as much as we can. I'm not saying my vocabulary is great, but it does, she does help us or kind of encourages us to expand our vocabulary and expand our Vietnamese and how we use it. So when I read her books now, I actually don't read the actual story that's written by the author. Wow. I follow along with it, but I use Vietnamese words or you know, as simple as I can. And that helped a lot, just reading her books in purely in Vietnamese. Um, in terms of um, like television, we found other resources like Peppa Pig and there's a Cocoa Melon version uh, in Vietnamese. So I just wanna put that out there because I don't think a lot of parents do, but the Cocoa Melon Vietnamese really, really help. Peppa Pig in Vietnamese um, enforces like everyday life and things that go on, like um, kick the ball, it's time to take a bath, time to brush your teeth. So. And then with you talking to them in Vietnamese, I feel like it really reinforces them to speak the language. Um, yeah, so I would say right now she's truly bilingual. Um, she does understand both. Sometimes at school, I the teacher do, do tell us like she speaks to us in Vietnamese sometimes like, oh yeah, yeah, these are the main words like milk, water, sleepy. <laughs> but it works, it works. Um, but yeah, definitely the challenge is you're just questioning yourself as a parent. Like, am I doing this right? Like, is it sticking? Is she picking it up? Or I'm just doing this for nothing. But um, in the beginning, it is weird. Because like I said, we don't speak it's to so each weird. other. Yeah, yeah we, we don't speak to awkward. each other in Vietnamese, mm -hmm. right? And once you start talking to your kid, you're like, oh, this sounds weird. But you get used to it. 
So now like, it's just natural for me when I see her, I just speak in Vietnamese. It's, it just comes naturally. I don't even have to think about it anymore. You know, I, I've utterly failed in this department. <laughs> yeah, my kids are three and five now. And I think that, you know, my mom and I, my wife is Taiwanese and my, my mom and I try and it's just so awkward, you know, that, yeah. and it takes so much time now to explain because yeah. we didn't start when they were born and we tried, but it was just so awkward to, to speak to them in Vietnamese. <laughs> and they said it's, it's never too late to learn really? either. Yeah, I mean, I, I have cousins who, um, yeah, the parents are of different ethnicity and then they, they do pick it up, you introduce it. And I think a lot of it is up to the child too. Like I did talk with my husband, like, you know, later on in life, it will be her choice. I just wanted to do, introduce to her at least now while she's a baby and a child, just to give her that resource if she wants to take it and pursue it and, you know, keep it a part of her life. Yeah, I, I wish that I, you know, it's, it's, it goes back to this thing about like, when we are forced to receive certain things that are coming from the previous generation whether it's through trauma or some hard experience right this whole thing about like being handed down this language it was a necessity for you and for me because our parents didn't speak english mm -hmm. and so exactly. we've inherited this beautiful <laughs> gift of language uh, vietnamese language and now that I look at my children, I'm like, I'm completely robbing them of this experience of Vietnamese language. Well, they're still super young, so it's, it's never too late to start if that's something that you feel would, you, know, you want. I would love it. <laughs> I would love to. But, you know, my wife is also Taiwanese, but mm -hmm. that's not an excuse because I have a friend who um, kids are about they're about the same age, um, two boys. Their mother is Colombian and their father is Vietnamese. Oh, wow. The mother speaks only Spanish to the mm. kids. The father speaks only Vietnamese and the kids speak all three languages. Yeah, it's amazing. It's, it's amazing. Their brains at this, this age, they're like sponges. So they connect it somehow. I mean, even with my daughter, she connects sentences and puts words together that I never use. And I'm like, oh, okay, she gets it. So I, I think, yeah, that's the hardest part is the commitment on the parent's side to, yeah, it's, it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's such a big failure. You know, there there's a parent, uh, Vietnamese parents language group um, in Los Angeles. Do you oh, know about that? No, I don't. Uh, what's the what's the the group's name? I would God, love I it. Should know this, but um, no, it's not a public group. So that's why I I'm you know I, and there's no I don't think that there's a formal name for it. Uh -huh. But in LA, there's um, Vietnamese parents, and um, you know I'll tell you about it after we we get oh, out because yeah, it's get not it a, a public group, but this is one of those things where um, I'm very proud to to know about it and be a part of it because the parents all make an effort to to teach their children uh, Vietnamese language and some of the parents or actually most of the parents are like me where they their spouse is not Vietnamese and right. so I've witnessed where um, one is speaking in Chinese and the other is speaking in Vietnamese to their children yeah. and it's a beautiful thing yes yes yeah and then and i i mean we hear like when in europe the europeans the children learn like three four languages yeah. at a very young age and that's just from sending the kids out to like a different country to visit a relative over the summer and that's how they pick it up so it's definitely possible <laughs> yeah it is so in the future 
if you had a choice between um, being a full-time writer or, you know, working in the pharmacy business, (laughs) do you ever think about that or you don't really, it's not even a pressure for you? It's not a pressure. Um, Like I said, healthcare has always been a passion for me. So, I mean, we can, that can be a talk on itself, but um, I love healthcare and I love what I do. Um, I'm just really grateful that from that profession, it gave me the resources to pursue, um, pursue this, like basically a hobby that I turned into, I guess now like a small business. (laughs) Yeah. But healthcare is, yeah, that's, that's not a pressure for me. And that's a beautiful thing to hear because, um, you know, so often artists and creators, you know, we, we, we get on this sort of program and we get on our high horse and we talk about like, oh, you know, our parents, you know, force us into medical or healthcare or being lawyers. But, you know, this is probably one of the first times that I've heard somebody say that life is balanced for them, you know, that you are equally passionate about being a pharmacist. And really, you're living a sweet, the best life because you get to do something you're very passionate about, which is pharmacy, and you have to, you, you have this wonderful hobby. So why is healthcare a passion? Well, I, I mean, I can give you the generic reason, which is, you know, to help people, which is very, very true. Um, the thing about, you know, I do get this question a lot about, you know, did you go into healthcare because you were forced or did you like it? I feel like life is very multidimensional, yeah. right? Like there's a lot of things in life to make a complete life. And it doesn't mean you have to only be good at or interested in one area, specifically in society or in life in general. I think to make a complete human being, you have, you know, you have interests, right? You have different things that you like and different things that draws you. Um, So I think it's okay to, you know, use both sides of your brains per se. And I think it's important, just makes you more of a complete person. And then you just meet different areas of society. It makes you more appreciative of like what other people are doing in society to to help the world. Um, um, Yeah, but in terms of healthcare, I, I mean, I've always loved it. I, I love the sciences. That was my mm-hmm. um, strength in school. I think that it starts off with that, like what you're really good at right, in school, right. what you get your A's in. Um, yeah, so sciences have always been my strength. Um, and then I just went with it and I loved it and I'm still in it. That's beautiful. And I hope that a, a children's book one day, hint, hint, wink, wink, <laughs> can be written about, um, you know, especially for our culture that, Picking whatever and selecting whatever is a good thing, you know, or having a full spectrum of, you know, you could you could be in the healthcare profession and also have this wonderful side business as a you know as an artist is 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 a viable solution to life, right? Yes, absolutely. You know, and have that we we don't have that encouragement as as a second generation. um, It's not fully there yet for us right i mean for my parents i mean it's it's difficult i think when you're a refugee and you're a first generation in this country your uh survival instinct is a lot stronger right because you have a lot of so so much to lose you have so much to lose and you have so many people in your family depending on you so you don't really have that option to explore your hobbies and your interests you're just focused on you know what can get me a good job a good paying job the fastest the quickest um so that's why i feel incredible incredibly lucky that as a second generation here because my parents worked so hard I have this opportunity to pursue you know different things in life and just like you said just feel very complete 
uh, in what I'm doing and how I'm living my life. Um, but, but yeah, it's just, it's very different. And, and did your parents, were they cool when you said I wanted to be a book, uh, an, an author? <laughs> Oh yeah. As long as I didn't quit my day job, <laughs> they're like, yeah, as long as you have extra time, that's fine. That's <laughs> don't quit caveat. being a pharmacist. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So, you know, today I want to, I want to thank you for um, coming on to, to share your story and I really appreciate it. And um, if you have another uh, book that comes out, you know, would love to hear about it. And I know that you're really jamming on this um, marketing and pushing the book right now. We're right in the middle of that season. And yes, yes. I, uh, only I a month away. <laughs> yeah, I wish the best and we can get the word out for you. Thank you so much, Kenneth. This was a great experience. Thank you so much. It's <laughs> my pleasure. Thanks a lot. Okay. Happy New okay. Year. Okay. Happy New Year. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Vietnamese with Kenneth Nguyen. The Vietnamese is produced by Brittany Tran and Javier Proenza. Special thanks to Jane Nguyen, Catherine Nguyen, Tina Pham, Sydney Jamie, and Christo Trin. Please find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at The Vietnamese Podcast. You can also find us on YouTube where you can subscribe, like, and comment. Please rate and give us a review wherever you find our podcast. Thanks again for listening.